just to sleep on But if I'm gonna dawn, would it be wrong? Will you be there for me? Will you?
Good morning, everyone. Wait, it got quiet real quickly, didn't it? I guess that means it's time for me to start saying words, right? Well, good morning. Welcome to Trinity Bible Church. So glad that you could join us here this morning. Um, it's a privilege to be able to gather together in a group, to be able to worship God. And uh, I hope and I trust that this would be the beginning of a new week for you that includes much worship to our God. And uh, this is a very special way to do that. This morning, we're going to hear from God through his word, and we're going to worship God through song. In just a moment, we're going to pray together, and of course, we will have continued time of fellowship. I encourage you uh, to avail yourself of that. Um, Every Sunday morning, we offer our coffee fellowship. Starts at 9.45, so I encourage you to come a little early and uh, enjoy just uh, getting to know one another, enjoying some good coffee, and uh, getting yourselves ready to bring your worship to the Lord. Um, as I often say, I recognize that we've all had different experiences this past week, and as we embark uh, on the new week together, uh, we reflect on this past week, and so However it is that you have come here this morning, wherever your heart is, whatever those thoughts are on your mind, uh, we'll pray now and through the hearing of God's word and worship that, um, that we'd be able to lay all that aside and just lay it down at the foot of the cross and come before our God, his matchless and mighty throne of grace, just simply to say thank you. And that was, is what worship is. It's our response of thankfulness for the goodness of our God. Amen. A reading from the word of the Lord as our call to worship this morning. A reading from the Old Testament and then one from the New. This is Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. And let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, you who could stand? 
But with you there is forgiveness, so that you may be feared. So I wait. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word, I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. From the New Testament, a reading from Second Peter chapter 3. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is like one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Would you stand with me, please? And let us pray as we enter into a time of worship. We thank you, God, for the breath in our lungs. We thank you for eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts that beat. God, our desire is that we would lay before you at your feet all the worries, all the fears, all the anxious thoughts, and that we could come before you now just ready ready and prepared in heart and mind to meet with you, our God, our Creator. Your word reminds us this morning that we can trust in you because you are an omnipotent God. You are all-powerful, and that we are called sometimes to wait. And so, God, we wait on you. We wait for the answers to our prayers. We wait to see what it is that you would have next for us, but like the watchman on the wall, in the morning we wait. So God, turn our eyes towards you this morning. Tune our hearts to your heart. And God, we pray that now in our time of worship through song, that in our blessing, you would be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's worship him together through song. He who was before there was light Walked across the pages of time He who made every living thing Behold he who heard humanity's cry Left his throne to wake as a child He became like the least of us Behold him Jesus, Son of God, Messiah The Lamb, the
I hope you believe that, church. I hope you believe that, that he is always enough. Amen? Why don't you take a moment to say good morning to somebody next to you? make our way back to our seats. Amen. So good to see great fellowship. We praise the Lord for that. We praise God for our young ones making their way down the hall to their classes. We thank God for our, our um, those who serve and uh, give up their time to work with the kids, just um, passing on the mighty acts of God from one generation to the next. Amen. And so it's an important ministry. And so we thank God for them and continue to pray for our children. So again, welcome. Welcome if you're just joining us for the first time. We say thank you for choosing to worship God with us this morning here at Trinity. And uh, we welcome all of our friends and family through our live stream. Remember that it's a great tool that we offer if you're traveling or if you're not well or if you want to introduce some people that maybe that aren't in the area so all that happens here at Trinity, you can just tell them to go to our website, trinityallenwood.com. It's right there on the homepage, and they can just click on Watch Live. And of course, if you happen to miss one of our services, you can uh, go back and uh, watch any of them because they are recorded. Just go into our sermons, and every Sunday is recorded as well as live streamed. And so, uh, again, we say thank you, and uh, these words are important to us. Learn, grow, and serve. This is a big part of who we are and our core values, because that's how we pursue being disciples, and by learning the truth and growing in faith and then serving each other. And we serve those around us in the church and the world around us as well. So just a, a few um, items, what we call church life, to kind of get caught up on where we are in things and things that are coming ahead. So you can be aware and mark your calendars. We will have a time of testimony next week. And so, you know, one of our missionary partners is the Jersey Shore Rescue Mission located in Asbury Park. And that is a mission for men who have been struggling with 
addiction or homelessness and uh, other things going on in their life, and, and God has divinely brought them to the rescue mission, and we have some people in our congregation that work there and serve there, and we love to partner with them. And so sometimes we also have the great privilege of being able to, to meet some of the men who have gone through the program. And so next week, we're going to meet one of them. His name is Ion Witter, and he's going to come and share for a few minutes during the service next Sunday about his testimony. And it's a very, very powerful testimony about what God has done in and through him and what he is doing now. He's a graduate of the Rescue Mission program and was an intern now and now actually works there full-time at the mission. And so we praise God when we get to hear stories. And so testimonies are powerful. And so the whole service next week will be based on the power of testimony. And the message from God's word to all of us will also be just a great word, I think, of encouragement, but also challenge to each of us to remember that we all have a story to tell. And we each have a testimony about how God got a hold of us and um, what our life is like now in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you know what? Nobody else has your testimony. You know that? And uh, so it's something unique only to you that God wants to use. And so uh, make it a point to be here next Sunday. Invite some friends and family. A great opportunity just to, to hear and simply a powerful testimony about God at work in people's lives, and then, of course, what the Word of God has to say about that. So that is uh, next Sunday. Uh, also, it's a new event uh, we just uh, planned and scheduled. It is a seminar coming up on Sunday, June 11th. It's a three-hour seminar in the afternoon, uh, 2 to 5. So I have Tom after service to go grab some lunch and freshen up and come back. It's a free event, uh, but we do ask that you register so you can go online to our website, trinityallenwood.com, and register for that. Be looking for uh, an email for that this week as a reminder. Um, but uh, it's a great opportunity to hear from an expert who's going to come and share with us all about uh, our friends in Lakewood and beyond, of course, but specifically in our context uh, in Lakewood, the Orthodox Jewish community. And so what we'll hear is in two sessions during that, that brief three-hour seminar, we're going to hear first uh, just a lot of background about that community, insights uh, into uh, customs and traditions and beliefs and practices and uh, things that perhaps that we have uh, wondered about and that we have experienced. Uh, and um, so that will be the first part. And then the second half of that seminar will be offering practical um, examples and practical ways to engage uh, the Orthodox Jewish community around us uh, with our faith and with um, the Lord Jesus Christ and what that looks like. Because, you know, when, when we talk about missionaries and all the missionaries that we support uh, uh, locally and globally, you know, we have an idea of what missionaries do, right? But do you realize a big part of that is when a missionary goes to a different place. Um, they have to learn a language and learn the culture and traditions and customs so they can be respectful, but also so that they can share Jesus, uh, the one same truth throughout all the ages, but perhaps in a different and unique way. And uh, it's no different when we enter into different cultures, right? Like that, no matter what it is. And so this is a very unique and special opportunity um, to learn more about that. And so I would encourage you to make a note of that now on your calendars. Be looking for the email reminder. You can go to our website after service 
and register for this. Again, it's free, uh, but we just asked for registration. This is for believers, for Christians. And so if you're interested and you share uh, with your, your friends and family, just share with those that are believers that can come out uh, and uh, learn more about how to share their faith with the Orthodox Jewish community, all right? So uh, really important, that's June 11th. And then finally, uh, in a couple of weeks, starting on June 4th, we will begin our new sermon series, and that is the Gospel of Matthew. So we will embark on a journey through the Gospel of Matthew. It's been a while since we've been through one of the Gospels, and I think the last one we did was Mark a while back. And so we're going to take our time and go through, on a journey together, the Gospel of Matthew. And the title of this series is simply King and Kingdom. And we will see uh, all uh, that Matthew has to say in his unique perspective on the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, how he is the king, the promised Messiah, the king who came to offer the kingdom. And it's this amazing and majestic theme all throughout the Gospel of Matthew, how there is a king who has brought a kingdom. And what does that mean for us today, 2,000 years later? Uh, So that is what uh, we'll be starting to study on Sunday mornings, our new series beginning on June 4th. So next week we'll have our time of testimony and sharing from God's word about the power of our testimony. And then the following Sunday we'll begin our series on Matthew, King and Kingdom. What do you think of that picture right there? Beautiful, right? You're like, let's go there right now. Mm -hmm. This is a view of the sunrise above the clouds from Haleakala. Haleakala is the uh, mountain or dormant volcano, it's actually considered technically active, that makes up 75% of the Hawaiian island of Maui. Many of you know this is where uh, my oldest daughter Lauren and her husband Ben live, and we've had the, the great privilege of being able to visit, but we haven't yet gone to this amazing place. It is one of the, um, the most popular tourist destinations in all of Hawaii, And again, it is called Haleakala, and it makes up uh, over three quarters of the island. It is what's called a a shield volcano. So when you think of volcanoes, we normally think of this sort of mountain that grows up into like a cone, and there's different kinds of volcanoes. This is a shield volcano, so it's a lot more gradual sloping with sort of a, uh, you know, just sort of a flat top to it. And uh, it's an amazing spot, I've heard. Again, we have not been there yet. But what's most popular uh, among tourists and locals there on Maui is to visit Haleakala for sunrise. So people start arriving at 3 or 4 a.m. And it is a 38-mile drive from the coast. And it's 38 miles because you have to weave in and out and around the mountain to get up there because it climbs in elevation up to a little over 10,000 feet above the sea level there at the coasts. And it is believed to be the world's steepest route. And so therefore, to climb those 10,000 feet, you need to drive. It takes a, a while, the 38 miles around but as you can see, it is totally worth it, right? 
And so people gather well before sunrise, and they gather. It's quite cold up there. Every once in a while, it will snow. Yes, there is snow on the mountains of Hawaii, and it gets that cold. But why is it so unique? Well, well, of course, years ago, the, um, the ancient um, uh, people that lived there, the early Hawaiians, named it Haleakala, which means house of the sun, and you can see why. And uh, it's, again, one of the most popular attractions. And what makes it so unique is there's so many places that you can go to see, of course, a beautiful sunrise. But as you can see from the picture, you see the sunrise from above the clouds, because that's how high you are. But also at the top of Haleakala is an observatory. It's one of the most sought-after observatories for uh, scientists and astronomers throughout the world. And why? Not only because of its 10,000-foot elevation, but because in that part of the world on this island in Hawaii, there is this remarkable clarity because the air is thinner, it is more still, it is dry, and it brings just this added measure of clarity to whatever it is that you see. There is also this amazing absence of artificial light. Here we go to the beach here, right, at the Jersey Shore, and you can look out over the ocean where there's no artificial light and see, but there's still so much around us. We get to see a lot of stars, right? But it's so different when you go to a place like this because of their perspective. Because not only are you above any kind of man-made source of light, but you are above the clouds. In fact, you are above one-third of what's called the troposphere, which is the, the, uh, the first, from our vantage point, the first part of the Earth's atmosphere. So you're like one-third above that. And so you can see so clearly. And so experts come from all over the world to see the skies. So if you want to see a sunrise... From above the clouds, from this vantage point, you need to position yourself in order to see it clearly. So you need to get up early, drive the 38 miles up to a 10,000-foot elevation where it is cold and dry and still, but yet the reward is great because there is such clarity of vision. Church, let me ask you this. Would you like to have such clarity of vision for what God is doing in your life and in the world around us. I have yet to go there. Claudia and I would love to do that on our next trip out to Maui. But, you know, I've also um, been putting off getting a new pair of glasses. Anybody with me, right? I have a new prescription. I wear progressives, and uh, I guess it's because I'm old, you know, and my eyes are getting old right along with the rest of me. And I, so I have a new prescription, but... Man, it's just so expensive. I haven't, you know, I've been putting that off and get all the, 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 the dings and scratches in your glasses and you learn to, to live with it. But whenever you get that new prescription, you're like, man, I could have been seeing so many things, right? And see clearly. And so before I go to see this magnificent sunrise, I want to make sure I get my new prescription so that I can position myself to see everything with the greatest of clarity. That's my question for you this morning. 
Church, are you in your life positioning yourself to see clearly what God has for you? We all make plans for the future. Many of us do this at home. We go over our budget and we try to come up with a plan. Sometimes we look at our budget and then we just close it and then we say, and we bl- uh, God bless it, and then we move on to something else, right? But we want to have clarity of vision. Sometimes at work, you're asked to come up with a vision for your job or your department. What is your one, three, and five-year plan, right? And it requires a lot of thinking and trying to figure out where you are, where you've come from, where it is you would like to go. Myself and the leadership here at Trinity are in the process of doing that early on in the stages of coming up with our one and three and five-year plan. And of course, first and foremost, besides what we would like to see happen here at Trinity, uh, everything from our, our physical resources to, of course, uh, our ministries, we want to first ask God, God, what do you want for your church? And even in a way before that, we want to get on board with what God is already doing. But see, in order to discern what that is, we want to pray for clarity of vision. Before we decide what to do as a church leadership and before you decide what to do in your own homes and in your lives, don't you want to position yourselves and and get up to this mountaintop in a spiritual sense to be able to see clearly the sunrise in your life from even a vantage point above the clouds. All throughout the scripture, God offers us glimpses of not only himself, more than glimpses, he reveals himself in his word, how he is omnipotent, all-powerful, and omnipresent. He is everywhere with us all at once. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. It's as if God says, come with me to the top of Haleakala and let me show you something new and amazing. This morning what I want to do is share briefly in our time together an overview of the book of Habakkuk. That was many years ago, actually before COVID, before the pandemic. You remember those times? Remember those days? That, uh, that we preached through, we went through the book of Habakkuk here on Sunday mornings. So what I wanted to do this morning is just give you again an overview of this book. Perhaps some of you have not read through it. It's only three chapters, but this is a very important book when it comes to understanding our relationship to God's vision for his people, for the world around us, and most importantly, for us individually. For we believe in and serve a God who is very personal and a God who loves to be in relationship with us. So this amazing book of Habakkuk, and he is a prophet from the Old Testament, reminds us of these two words, even if. We're going to spend the rest of our time together unpacking that. So I'm going to share some uh, just important verses and passages from this book. Uh, They won't be up on the screen this morning, so I'm encouraging you, church, uh, if you brought your own Bible, turn to the book of Habakkuk, the Old Testament, towards the end of the Old Testament. Um, If you haven't brought your Bible, please uh, use one that's uh, made available for you. You can use the Bible app on your phone, of course. If you'd like to just listen, by all means, listen as I read the Word of God aloud. Remember, the Word of God actually was written to be 
read aloud and to her and to be heard, not only read. But this is an overview of this book, and I want to highlight a few things from it. As we consider, church, our underlying theme this morning, that we want to have clarity of vision for what God is doing in our life, and even as we ask ourselves this important question, what would we do even if? Even if things don't work out the way that we would like, even if God doesn't answer our prayers the way we would like him to answer our prayers. So we're going to see this amazing conversation between Habakkuk and God and the journey of this prophet really is much like our journey. He is trying to get a vision and get some more clarity on what God is up to. And we'll see how he ends this book should really be the way that we approach our God. So let me pray, and then we will read from God's word together. Father, thank you for this opportunity. And now, God, would you just continue to reveal yourself to us? as we open the pages of your word, specifically to this amazing conversation between you and your servant, Habakkuk. Lord God, may we learn much, and may we grow from it, and then may it motivate us to go and serve and tell others about you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we don't know much about Habakkuk. Not much known about him. In many of the prophets who in the Old Testament, we kind of hear about who their parents were and where they were from and all that. Not much is known about Habakkuk. But yet we know that he reveals in his conversation with God that he would love to see more of the vision. He wants to see with clear glasses on what God is doing in his lifetime. As we think about that mountain and Haleakala, we kind of get a sense that, that Habakkuk, in a way, has kind of climbed up to this position so that he can hear and see from God as best as he can. See, he had a hard time seeing anything good, anything beautiful around him in his day. What did he see? He saw only sin. He saw only depravity and immorality and blatant disobedience to God all around him. And you know what? All of this was clouding his vision, church. Listen, all of what was going on in his world around him and among the people closest to him, the people of, of Judah, the tribe of Israel, right? The southern kingdom. All that was happening was clouding his vision to see what God was really up to. So in this conversation, Habakkuk is trying to gain clarity. And in it, he basically, again, as a means of overview, he kind of calls God an absentee father. He says, God, where have you been? There's all this turmoil around me in my world. What are you doing? It seems like you don't care. Does that sound familiar? Have you ever, even in just your thoughts, come before God and ask that question, God, the depravity in our world, the continued rise of oppression, of injustice, of immorality? 
We ask God, God, what are you up to? What is it that you are doing? It seems like you have said to our ancestors that you are a loving father, but you seem to be an absentee father. Because he doesn't perceive that God is doing much of anything. So what does God do in this amazing short book? He corrects his nearsightedness. See, when you're when you are nearsighted, like me, it means you can see things up close. But without corrected vision, you can't see things in the distance. When I take my glasses off, I see, wow, what lovely people you are. You all look so beautiful this morning. But see, I can't see anything. I see that there's a sea of what looks like people. But I can't make out any distinctions, nothing with clarity whatsoever, but you put your glasses on and you can see so clearly. It's as if God in his responses to Habakkuk is correcting his vision and saying, wait, 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 you're focusing way too much. Now listen, focusing way too much on the people around him and the things going on in his world. He's taking his eyes off of the creator, right? So it is in essence a call for us to see clearly by keeping our eyes on Jesus. He's like saying, look at me, Habakkuk, and I will make you see because I see all of it. Boy, if we could just get to that top of Haleakala, we could see, but is not God much, much higher than that? Amazing. We all want to have that perspective. Here's a story that I've shared before, but it is worth repeating. William Bradford was the governor of what we would call the group of pilgrims that came over on the Mayflower about 350 years ago. There was this group of people that landed on the northeast coast of America. We're familiar with this story. The first year that the pilgrims landed, they established a town. They established a place for them to live, a site on the ground where they created this town. That was in year one. In the second year, the next year, they elected a town government. So they started to create the formation of a society. In the third year, this town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. They had just gotten to this, what they called the new world. So in this third year, the newly formed government said, we need to continue on and let's build a road five miles into the wilderness. But in the fourth year, the people of that newly formed town tried to impeach their governor and the government because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles into a worthless wilderness. Who needed to go there anyway? They had arrived. Here were people who had the vision, think about this church, the vision to see 3,000 miles across an ocean and have a vision for a better life and overcome great hardships to get there, but in less than four years, they were not able to even see five miles out of town. They had lost their pioneering vision. We don't ever want to do that, do we? We want to see with a clear vision what can become as we allow Christ to lead us, as we allow him as believers 
to build us and to grow in us. We know that there is no ocean of difficulty too great, but God continues to want us to be on the move. You know, we look around today in um, our communities and the world around us, and we often see with spiritual nearsightedness, we ask a lot of the same questions that Habakkuk did. But then we kind of ask in our own time, do you ever ask these questions like, is Jesus coming back soon? Is the end really near? It really seems like it. We're surrounded by all this injustice and greed and corruption and rampant immorality, bloodshed, frustrations, heartbreak, anger. We become disillusioned. But what about if we look at ourselves? What if we look at us as the church? a body of believers around the world, perhaps before we fix our eyes on the problems out there, we ask God to search us and know us in here and within the community of believers. Are we staying true to the vision that God has for us, that he has revealed to us in his very word? I'm going to read to you now how the book ends. We'll spend the rest of the time finding out how he got there. This is how it ends. If you want to turn in chapter 3 to the end of the book, chapter 3 of Habakkuk, verses 17 to 19, here is how the story ends, and then we'll fill it in from the beginning. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. This is his last words as he talks to God. And then we'll go back and fill in how we got here. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. That's how he ends his conversation with God. See, but for us to fully grasp the beauty and the, the significance of these words, we need that context, right? So Habakkuk wrote these words, had this conversation with God in the time of international crisis and national corruption. And we say, wow, that sounds familiar. See, what was happening in his day, the big bad Babylonians were coming into world dominance as a power, about to overthrow the Assyrians, who were the dominant power of that day. And the Babylonians would soon overtake Judah, the southern uh, tribes of the, um, of the divided nation of Israel. They would take them into captivity. We know that as the Babylonian captivity. So Habakkuk is writing a few years, maybe a decade or so before that, and talking about what is about to happen. See, because this crisis was on the horizon. It was happening, and there was international crisis because of the pagan nations warring, but he knew from God's vision to him was coming to their doorstep. But there was also national corruption going on within the people of Israel. They were about to be judged judged by God for their disobedience. So there was great unrest in Judah 
There was overthrowing of kings, and the king of Egypt comes in and invades Judah, replaces that king with the king's brother, Jehoiakim. He was an evil, ungodly, and rebellious leader there in Judah. So Habakkuk writes this message on the eve of this pending destruction and exile by the hands of the Babylonians. But his journey of faith really mirrors us in many ways. Can you now look at the beginning of the book? In Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, this is how it begins. I'm going to read this to you. Read along with me, if you would. If you don't have your Bible, just listen. And see if this cry of Habakkuk to God sounds like maybe things that you have said in some way to God. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you won't hear me? Oh, or cry to you out violence and you won't save me. Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at all the wrong? Destruction and violence are in front of me. Strife and contention on the rise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous and justice goes forth perverted. These are the words of Habakkuk. We ask these same questions today. God, how much more can you tolerate the depravity of the people around the world not following you and believing in your son Jesus? So he writes us, of course, about the impending judgment on Israel, but in our context today, we might say, what about us in our own hearts? What about God and his church? Jesus, the bridegroom, and us, his bride. How are we doing as keeping ourselves pure and ready for Jesus, the bridegroom, to return at any moment for us? And we ask these questions because it's important. As our reference today, we might look out and we turn on the news and we read it and we look at the nation around us and the world around us and we, got, we say, God, how much more? But perhaps we need to look at our churches and our own hearts. God, would you search us and know us? We don't know much about Habakkuk himself, but he cares deeply about his people. In fact, while every, and this is really interesting, while every other prophet was calling out the people of Israel because of impending judgment and warning them, you know what Habakkuk is doing? He's saying, God, bring it on. I want the judgment, God, because these people of yours are wicked. Do you ever think like that? Maybe when your kids are acting rebellious, they're not your kids, they're your spouse's kids, right? Mm-hmm. That's the way that works. It's like Habakkuk saying, man, all these people around me, all oh, they're your children. Look at what they're doing. Bring on the judgment. But see in this back and forth, he's saying, God, it seems like you're absentee. You're not doing anything. And then God says, wait, we'll read it in a minute. I am doing something. You wouldn't even believe it if I told you. And Habakkuk says, try me. So God tells him how he's going to bring judgment. And Habakkuk says, I don't believe you. <laughs> That's what happens. So he has this intense conversation back and forth. He questions God in the midst of the chaos, and you know what? That's okay. The psalmist does it all throughout the psalms. It's okay to question God in the midst of the chaos, but are we positioning ourselves to hear from God? Are we positioning ourselves, our hearts and our minds, 
to actually hear from our God? Are we reading his word? Are we spending time praying and contemplating and meditating on his word and just wanting to listen and be still and know that he is God? Are we putting ourselves in that position to learn, to grow, and to serve, and to see? So here's God's answer. That's the beginning of chapter 1, right? Now look at verse 5 of chapter 1. God says to Habakkuk, all right, so you seem upset. You seem like I'm not around. Well, God says this, look among the nations and see. See, We see this word a lot in Habakkuk, see, see, see. Look around among the nations, not only Israel. Look at all the pagan nations around you and see and look. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. God is saying, hold on a second, Habakkuk. You don't think I'm doing anything? I am well at work. In fact, I've been on the job for a long time. God sees and knows all. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Isaiah 55, My thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts, your thoughts. In verses like that, it says, if God says, just remember, I am God and you're not. God makes the plans, so he gets to set the standards and he decides what's fair. God is the potter, we're the clay. He's the creator, we're the creation. There's such peace when we understand that we're not in control. It's not something that seems so ironic because so much much of our lives, and if we were to be honest with ourselves, even as believers, it's us trying to get control of situations and people, even maybe just our own thoughts, right? We try to expend so much energy and emotion trying to just be in control of things when the peace that we're longing for comes when we surrender it all and let him be in control. We act as if when we're in control, we'll have peace and freedom, but with God, it's just the opposite. We are to live lives with open hands. Say, God, thank you for what you've given me. I'd like to receive more, and I'm going to be good stewards of it, but if you'd like to bless me with more, I will, because if we hold on to life like this, what happens with clenched fists? We can't receive more from God. We've closed off being open to him, and then this is a position of stress, isn't it? And anxiety ready to fight. God says, live like this. Surrender. In the Hebrew, when he says, I am doing something, you wouldn't even believe it. It it means he's already been doing it. It's like already been active. It's not like Habakkuk raises God's attention to the situation around him. He's like, okay, I'll figure something out. And God says, I've been at work. If only, listen, if only you would see. If only you would see clearly. If only you would position yourself on the mountain on the top of Haleakala, and you want to see things from above the clouds, Habakkuk. There is a plan here, and the answer to your prayers is here, Habakkuk. It's like when you look up at the sky and you see that there's stars, you realize those aren't the only stars in the sky, right? There are so many more, but our vision is clouded by other light or clouds or other things that get in the way. So the idea is those stars are there, you just can't see them. 
When it's a cloudy day, it's raining, right? Remember, you like yesterday, praise God, we needed some rain, right? And you look up and you're like, oh, it's so cloudy. The sun's not out today. But the sun's still there, isn't it? You just can't see it. See, God is there. He's always there. But sometimes we allow things in our lives to get between us and him, and we, allowed our, we allow our vision to become clouded. So, chapter 2 now. Chapter 2, look at chapter 2, verses 2, 3, and 4. Habakkuk says this, So the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It won't lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. The New Testament quotes that three times. The righteous shall live by faith. See what God is saying? He's answering, saying, okay, I'm going to give you the vision. You're not even going to believe it. But I want you to write it down, make it clear, so that everybody can read it and see it and understand it. And so those that do can run with it and tell others. That's what he's saying. It's like the billboards, right? You're driving along the highway, you see the billboards to get your attention. There's a reason that they're big and they use big words so they can get your attention. He says, make it plain on tablets so it cannot be missed, God says, and then run and tell others that faith is important. The righteous shall live by faith. Now I want you to do this right where you are in chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Can you back up one verse? I don't want to miss this. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. I'm going to read it for you. Here's what it says. Habakkuk 2, verse 1. Before God says, write the vision, here's what it says. I will take, this is Habakkuk. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. You see what Habakkuk's doing? He's having his back and forth with God and he knows that God's about to answer him. So what does Habakkuk do? He goes home and gets in bed and forgets about everything, right? No, he doesn't. He says, I'm going to position myself in the best place I can to have the clearest vision so that when God is ready to reveal his plan, I'm going to be able to hear it and I'm going to be able to see it. So he calls it like a watchtower. I'm going to climb up to the watchtower. In some version it says the rampart, you know, when there's like a castle and there's a city, the ramparts on the top of the wall there so that you can see the enemy coming is basically what it was. So it's like he's positioning himself, okay, God, you're going to bring the judgment to the people of Israel and their disobedience. And, and what God had told him is he said, I'm going to use the wicked nation of Babylon to do it. And Habakkuk's like, what? They're worse than the people of Israel. They're going to use them to bring judgment and they're going to succeed? And God's like, I told you, you wouldn't believe it. But then Habakkuk says, all right, I'm going to position myself so I make sure I get the message right. I'm going to get to the highest place. I'm to the place where I can see and hear as clearly as possible. Are we doing that in a spiritual sense? Are we positioning ourselves to hear from God as we make plans, 
Are we willing to let the Lord set the steps? Proverbs 16, 9. In our hearts, we plan our course, but the Lord sets the steps. See, it's good to make a plan. It's good. It's good to set a budget. It's good to make a plan. You're going to go on a trip. You make all your plans. God expects that. God expects we would have a plan in place for the future here at Trinity, that you would have a future for your home and and your family and, and your career and what you want to do with school and all that. It's good. Make a plan. Be a good manager and steward of what God has blessed you with. But through it all, as Proverbs 69 says, the Lord will set the steps. See, that's where that vision comes in. Are we allowing God to cast his vision before us? And are we willing to see clearly, to position ourselves to see God and to hear from him? And that's what Habakkuk does. He's going to stand at his watch post or climb to the watchtower station himself on the rampart so he can look out and see what God will say to me and answer me. That's what he does. But then in verse 3, there in chapter 2 we just read before, he says, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will happen. It won't lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. Let's park there for a moment. You see what God is doing, church? We're almost done, and we're going to wrap this up in a minute. You see what God is doing? He's saying, boy, Habakkuk, you think I'm an absentee father? You think I'm really slow at getting around to what you want me to do? So he says, trust me, I have a plan in place. I've been working on this for a long time. In fact, eternity. He says, have patience. Have patience. Trust in me and wait. Trust in me and wait. How are we doing with that in our lives? Are we trusting God? We're bringing our prayers and our plans before him, praying for discernment and wisdom in what he wants us to do and his plans for our lives, but then are we willing to wait? It's like we come up with a plan, and we lay it down at his feet, and we say, okay, now we're going to wait. We're going to position ourselves for when God answers. Are we willing to wait? And he says, if it seems slow and you've been waiting, you know what God says? Wait a little bit longer. We don't like that, do we? It's uncomfortable. We don't like that. God, can you answer my prayer the way I want it, when I want it, please? Thank you. That's kind of the way we do it, right? But God says, it might seem slow. The passage I read is our call to worship from 2 Peter. 2 Peter says, a thousand years is like, not is, but it's like, a day to God, and a day is like a thousand years. He's not slow the way that we consider slowness. But do you know why God has not sent Jesus to come back for his church yet? Peter answers it, because God's heart is that all would come to faith in him, that all would believe. Now, we know all won't, but that's God's heart. His desire is that everyone would come to believe. So why is God waiting and allowing all of the immorality and perversity and and despair around us and injustice why is he allowing it even another moment more because god's got such a big heart he wants more people to come to jesus in faith so we need to get out there and we need to be telling people about jesus so we need to have patience how are we doing with the waiting part of it right but then we get to the end which is how we started in chapter three 
He starts off in verse 2 of chapter 3. So Habakkuk 3, verse 2. He says, Okay, Lord, O Lord, I have heard the report of you, and your work, O Lord, do I fear in the midst of the years, meaning now, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In your wrath, remember mercy. So he's getting the picture finally. He's seeing more clearly because he's positioned himself to do so. And so he realizes, okay, God is at work. He says, I've heard the report of you. God, I understand. He remembers what God has done in the past. He's remembering all the stories of his forefathers. He's remembering God's past provisions and promises. It's very different beginning from the end. But what humbled him? The word of God. He's speaking with God. What humbled him and gave him clarity of vision, the patience to wait, was the word of God. Church, we have the word of God. Let us continue to read it and learn more about him and what he desires from us. He will bless us with that ability to wait and to see, to see God's presence and to remember his promises. Through the struggle, Habakkuk's faith rose to the surface, and then he ends with this amazing word of praise that I started with, verses 17 through 19 at the end of the book, chapter 3. So, though the fig tree should blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, if the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on high places. Do you see what he's doing? He's saying if everything gets stripped away in the context, he knows there's judgment coming. The Babylonians are coming to, to bring God's judgment. And he says, even if everything is stripped away, I don't have any sheep in the pen. There's no olives. There's no grapes on the vine. I got no cattle in the stalls. There's no wheat in the fields. There's nothing. If all of that is laid bare, still, I will praise you. No, even if, even if, God, you take it all away, even if I become like Job, even if you don't answer the prayers that I desire, even if I lose my job, even if I lose my house, even if I lose my loved ones, I will still praise you. Can we truly say that? Boy, what a big part of our growth in our faith and trust in God to get to that point. But we need to continue to do that because sometimes we drift from that and we slip away if we're not staying steady in our relationship with God. But see, this is at the end of the book. This is where we want to get to, too, in our journey and conversation with God and positioning ourselves to see God. When we get to that point, we say, God, even if you take it all away, still... I'm going to praise you. Even if in your sovereign will, in your amazing and abundant grace, God, I don't even understand all of that. I never will. But yet, even if all of these things happen, I will still praise you because you are my strength. Are we thinking of God based upon our circumstances? or just on him being the source. He is the source of all that we have. God makes the plan. God sets the standards. God decides 
what's fair. Even if all of these things happen, will we still praise God? He is still worthy of worship. No matter what's going on in our life, no matter what the circumstances in the world around us, he's still omnipotent, all-powerful. He's still omnipresent everywhere, all at once with us, all the time. He's still omniscient, all-knowing. None of that changes because of the circumstances in our life. Are we willing at the end of, the, uh, of it all, no matter what happens in our circumstances, to be able to praise God like it says in Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. God says, I am already at work. I am doing a new thing, and if I told you, you wouldn't even believe it. God, why don't you just reveal your plan to me, and I'll do it. It's as if God says, you wouldn't even believe it. The way I'm going to work it out for you, would you just trust me? Just trust me and wait. First Thessalonians 5, Paul says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. To rejoice, to worship him, to pray, to give thanks, no matter what the circumstances, that's God's will for our life. Our worship is our response to the truth that God makes the promises, to the truth that our God has a plan, to the truth that we are in his presence, and that even in the midst of loss, discouragement, despair, even destitution like Habakkuk, when all resources are gone, we still have the source. Do you see that? And this gives us hope, for we are people of hope. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, praying for clarity of vision to see his will, positioning ourselves to see him more clearly, and worship him as we wait. Would you stand with me, please? We need to continue to proclaim the good news of the providence the provision and the promises of our God, because our God will never fail. Let's keep our eyes not on our resources, but on the source. Right? Father God, we thank you for our time together this morning. May you be blessed. May you get all the glory. And as we leave this place, God, would you please send your spirit to go before us? He is within us as your followers as believers in your son, Jesus. He is with us. We thank you. But God, now through that spirit, would you please prepare the way before us? Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May we seek to see the sunrise each and every day from above the clouds, to have that vision and that vantage point that we can only get from you and your word. God, keep us close. Keep us safe. God, now send us forth into a world that is desperate for hope, that is desperate for clear vision. May we bring them to the source, that is Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us this morning, church. Thank you. Hallelujah.
Good news for the shamed. There is good news for the world who walked away. There is good news for the doubter. The one religion failed. For the good Lord has come to seek and save. He's our. 